0: In connection with the ordination for this afternoon, we will be looking at a passage from Acts. We'll be reading Acts 6, the verses 1 to 7, and you'll be able to find that on page 1259 of your Pew Bible. Acts chapter 6, the verses 1 to 7. Now, in those days... When the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were the Greeks who had converted to Christianity because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Harmonus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So far, the word of God. In connection with that passage, we'll also be reading from the summary of God's Word that we can find in the Belgian Confession, and we'll be looking at Article 31, page 512 of your book of praise. We believe that ministers of God's Word, elders and deacons, ought to be chosen to their offices by lawful election of the church, with prayer and in good order, as stipulated by the Word of God. Therefore, everyone shall take care not to intrude By improper means. He shall wait for the time when he is called, that he is called by God, so that he may have sure testimony and thus be certain that his call comes from the Lord. Ministers of the Word, in whatever place they are, have equal power and authority, for they are all servants of Jesus Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. In order that this holy ordinance of God may not be violated or rejected, we declare that everyone must hold the ministers of the word and the elders of the church in special esteem because of their work and as much as possible be at peace with them without grumbling or arguing. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these men that you see here before you today are special men. They aren't special because they're particularly good men. They aren't special because they happen to win a popularity contest. They're special because they have been appointed to the office of elder and deacon. But especially for you boys and girls having experienced the process of choosing men to office and now looking forward to their ordination in a moment, you may wonder what this is. You may have read about or heard us reading here as we were choosing these men or uh, as we were choosing nominations, Paul's command to Titus and Timothy about appointing office bearers. You've read our passage today in Acts, but what's it all about? As we read the form, we'll be reading about the history and the tasks of office bearers, And while we'll touch down on that today in passing, we'll be focusing on these offices from a slightly different perspective. And we'll be doing that under the following theme and points. The offices of the church. We'll see first of all how these men are men tasked to care for the congregation. And second, they are men dependent on God. I would like to briefly touch down on six topics under our first point and five under the second. First, the election of office bearers. This is one of the reasons why it's so important to list, pardon me, (laughs) the election of office bearers. In In our passage for today, we read the following. Seek out from among you seven men. This is something that is familiar to us. The apostles had chosen men who were from the midst of the congregation. Now it must be noted in our passage today in Acts that we just read, this would have been an established congregation. This is a slightly different situation from the situation of the mission congregations where Paul told Timothy and Titus to appoint men from among the people. In such situations, the Christian church was young and small and needed wisdom and outside input from their missionaries. This is an example that we ourselves follow out in our mission fields with church plants. On the other hand, when we are looking to the appointment of elders and deacons, we also hear of casting lots. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the people choosing two men who had followed Jesus throughout his ministry but weren't part of his inner circle. When these two men were chosen, men cast lots to determine who would be the one who would be appointed as another apostle to follow in the footsteps of apostles. They found men who fulfilled all the requirements and then left it to the Lord to choose who would be next. They recognized what we read in Proverbs. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. We today, however, follow the example that God gave us in the election of the brothers here in Acts 6. A larger established church community sought out, they looked for men from among themselves who were seen as faithful and godly men. The way we do it is not the only way to do it. It's not the only example that Scripture gives, but it is a faithful one. That being said, simply because they were chosen by men or appointed by men, this doesn't mean that they were just appointed by men, that they were just the winners of some glorified lottery or popularity contest. And this brings us to the second point of reflection, that they were appointed by God. We read in Jeremiah 3, verse 5, I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Whether chosen by lot, or whether chosen by us, from among us, these men before us here today were appointed by God. They were set here to be shepherds after God's own heart who will feed the flock placed in their care on heavenly bread, that is, the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's their task to direct you and to fill you with knowledge and understanding. As we read in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13, Christ gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. They are appointed by God, and they are God's gift, Christ's gift to his people. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to listen seriously when these brothers bring the word of God to bear in our lives. This is why it's so important when the elders and deacons enter into our homes that we, hearing them speak the truth in love, may grow up in all things into our God who is our head, Christ. But that's not to say that great authority doesn't come without great responsibility. And that brings us to the third thing we need to consider, as we look at these men who are before us, and that's that they will be judged more strictly. The deacons who were appointed in our text were appointed to the task of caring for, among other things, the needs of the widows in the congregation. Their task was to provide for those who were in need, leading them and teaching them where necessary. Both elders and deacons, in their separate ways, are required to teach and direct the hearts of the people towards God, all of them holding to the truths of faith with a clear t- conscience, First Timothy 3, verse 9. And certainly the elders do it in a more direct way, having a teaching role built into their calling. But each of the deacons are called to constantly direct people to the one who is supporting them as well. They're called to remind people that God is the one bringing them the support, using themselves as the deacons, as his instruments. God is their answer to prayer. Now being God's instruments and God's representatives also means that any abuse of the position of the elder or deacon has a direct impact on that person's view of God. Because of that, not only do they have one of the most sacred and perhaps even one of the most intimidating tasks in the world, they'll also be held to a much higher standard. We see that reflected in James 3 verse 1, where we read, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so that brings us to the fourth point where we are called to respect them. The whole passage today that we read reflects that. The men who are chosen to office in Acts 6 were men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They were men known by the people of God and by the community to be men who stood out as faithful servants of God. We read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, that it is indeed a noble task that they desire. It's a noble office, which is an honor granted to it by God. And because it's an honor granted granted to this office by God, we too are called to honor those who are placed in this office. As we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, and who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake. This makes us ask ourselves as we consider these men who are here before us, and all of the men who are in office, do I make an effort to do this, to be obedient to God in this way? Do I seek to love these men for their works' sake? If not, it calls us to make a special effort to set apart a special place in our hearts for these men as men who are to be esteemed highly in love for their work's sake, not just for their own sake. Men are fallible, and you've likely known at least some of the elders here for many years. You know their weaknesses and shortcomings. But we are called to love them for their work's sake and for the sake of the task that they've been given recognizing that their task is one for which they'll be held into account and their office is one to be honored, we also recognize, fifth, that we ought not to seek to make it harder for them than it ought to be. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. As God spoke to His churches then, so also He speaks to us today, calling us to seek to make their work a joy and not a burden. They are pulling long hours and giving up family time, coming to visit us in our homes, because they truly believe that God has called them to this task. And they love you. And they seek to honor God through their service of you. As the author of Hebrews writes, to deliberately make their task more difficult would be of no value to you in light of that. And that causes us to consider, sixth of all, that we ought to give glory to God for them. These men are appointed to care for you. Not too long ago, I heard someone speak about two young women, a few provinces over, who lived in the same house, and both of them missed the Lord's Supper. Both of them received a phone call. But though they lived in the same house and had the exact same phone call, they had two radically different responses. The first of the two was fuming. Who do they think they are? They have no right to be snooping in my life. Why should it matter to them where I went? I'm a grown-up. This is one of the things that I really dislike about this church. The second was surprised at the reaction of the first. What are you talking about, she said. I feel really special that they reached out to me. They cared. I was missing. And someone noticed. They cared enough even to give me a phone call. You see, the second woman saw what the first did not. She saw that the elders cared about her physical and spiritual well-being as men who were appointed by God to that task. And whether she realized it or not, the truth is that they were placed in her life as a symbol of God's love for her. And their concern for her was a reflection of God's concern for her. These men today, about to take their vows, they are under-shepherds, working for the Master Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Christ has put them in place over you to go to, to speak to, to help you and guide you and support you, to call you back when you stray, and to be living channels of His love towards you. And so that gives you an opportunity to give glory to God for them. Today, as we see them sitting before us, we also recognize that they are men who are to be dependent on God. Now, brothers, I address this to you in particular, as men who have been called to office. But, beloved, much of this also applies to all of us. And even where it doesn't, it gives you opportunity to encourage your brothers who are in their offices with these truths. First of all, remember that God himself is your over-shepherd. Brothers, God himself is decisively the main worker in this church here in Owen Sound and in your life. And he who does the work ought to be the one who gets the glory. God ordains And he executes, he carries out what he ordains. You are the under-shepherd, and you're tasked with carrying out his will. Remember that. As we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. And seek to make this something that you strive for, by the power of the Spirit to serve willingly. Willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly seeking to make it a joy. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Not at those who are dictating the every move of those who are under your care. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is an immense responsibility and an immense privilege. You report to God most high. And that also means that that also means that you can remember that the weight doesn't all land on you. The fact that you report to God most high is a reminder to us. That the weight of all this doesn't end with you. And that brings us to the second thing we can consider. When you're not working, God is still at work. Remember those words. When I'm not working, God is still at work. And the prophet Isaiah confessed in Isaiah 64 verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. As our chief shepherd, he is the one who has the ultimate care over the flock. Carry out your task willingly and faithfully, and then submit the outcome to him. And those long hours in the evening, when your mind seems burdened, with the cares of the congregation, and you desire nothing more than sleep. Meditate on the words of Psalm 3, verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. The Lord is the one who sustains you through the night, even when you've given up all control to be able to sleep. You don't tell yourself to breathe at night. You don't tell your heart to beat. Through the night, the Lord sustains you. And in the same way, even while you sleep, He is at work in the hearts of those who are under your care. The Lord is the one who will act for those who wait on Him. The Lord is the one who sustains you through it. Recognizing that, You're also called to recognize that you're an instrument in God's hands. God is at work through you. You are God's workmanship. This is something that's true for every single one of us. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to carry out His will. When you're working, it's not the absence of God working, you're not working instead of God working. When you are working, it is because God is working in you. Your work is owing to God's work. And we find this very same truth in Philippians 2 verse 13. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that an incredible thought? We can say, Lord, let me strive to become the best possible instrument in your hand that I can become. And with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, let us say, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And that truth brings us to the fourth thing that we can consider if God doesn't work, I labor in vain. We read in Psalm 127, verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And this is exactly the attitude that we should take to all our endeavors. In our relationships with our husbands and wives, bringing them before the throne of God in prayer. In our raising of our children, constantly and daily submitting them to the care of our Heavenly Father. In our daily work, recognizing that we need God's help and guidance in carrying out those tasks. When we submit our way to the Lord, we're recognizing that He is ultimately the one who works. He is ultimately the one who builds. Certainly, He uses instruments but he is the one who works through us and through those who are around us. And unless I recognize that, unless I recognize that, I labor in vain. Now, if that's true for all of those things, how much more is it not true for our various offices? We can see that vividly in our Acts 6 passage today. The men who were chosen to office were men who were described as as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They went into their tasks recognizing that this was the Lord who was at work. As elders and deacons, we too are called to come to our various tasks, recognizing that at the end of the day, we submit our work to God. It is God who labors And if God doesn't work, I labor in vain. But that also gives us the flip side of the coin, doesn't it? And that's the fifth thing we can consider. If I do the work of the Lord, I never labor in vain. The fact that God works through us spurs us on to strive to do the best that we possibly can. Now, that doesn't mean we won't fail. We will fail. We will have times when we walk away from an interaction with a person thinking, there's so much that I could have said differently. There's so much that I could have said differently. I wish I'd been able to do more. I wish I'd been able to say more. I'm just a broken vessel. That may be true, but we can take comfort And be assured that our God, who is the builder, He can still strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. God is capable of taking even our stumbling attempts as we grow and learn and strive to become the best possible instruments in His hand that we can be. And He uses those to further His work. As we read in Colossians, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, My beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And actually, that's something for the rest of us to consider as well, isn't it? Because we, ha- we can have those times that if we do have that interaction with these brothers who are in office before us, whether it be at a home visit, or through a pastoral visit, or in any other situation. We can have those times that we walk away thinking, well, I didn't take much away from that. We can have those times. We pray that it's not the case, but we can have those times where we feel that way. But then, we need to bring this principle back to the forefront of our minds. Did they bring the word of God? Did they bring the word of God to me? The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, working even to divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow, the Bible says. If we do the work of the Lord as office bearers, and the Lord's word never returns empty when it goes out, then we who sit in their care and we hear them speak to us, then we should be reminded of that as well. Yes, they are broken instruments, but the word of the Lord never returns empty, even when they are speaking to me. What is the Lord saying to me? What is the Lord saying to me? Through them. Beloved, these brothers before you today are taking up an incredible and challenging task. But they're not taking it up alone. The Spirit is walking by their sides, leading them as they work. Bear with them in their weaknesses and their shortcomings. Recognize that even despite their failings, it's God who's ministering through these men to you. Love them for it and never cease praying for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would grant them wisdom as they seek to help us grow in holiness and to bring glory to God. And thank our Lord Jesus Christ that he, as our chief shepherd, loves us enough to give us under-shepherds whom he places over us as evidence of his care. Amen.